we as doctors very much know that, hey, if you have a drug trial and the trial is funded by industry, you know, nine times out of 10, it's going to show benefit for their drug. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But this yeah. also occurs for like the oil industry, the plastics industry, the meat industry. Hi, everyone. Welcome back after somewhat of a break from uh, from us. <laughs> and But because we left you for so long, we've brought with us a special guest today to Cersei Health Pod. We're super excited to have him here and honored. And so I'll let Ajoy give a formal introduction. Yeah. Uh, so this gentleman, uh, we sought out because, I mean, I've been talking to this gentleman for a while and we were like, you know, can you do a podcast? And, he would, and he's a very busy guy, but we felt that if we can bring him on whenever he can, uh, we wanted uh, wanted our listeners to, uh, listeners and viewers yeah. maybe, uh, to to uh, listen to what he has to say because um, I've, I've seen some of the some of his works and they're absolutely impressive. So he is a doctor that's practicing emergency medicine in uh, Toronto, Canada. Uh, he actually happens to be a family physician and treats uh, addiction. Okay, um, and uh, not only that, he does a lot of work for NGOs in Haiti and in India. I mean, he's a, a a doctor of Indian origin, and he, you know he, he does a lot of work in India also. And besides medicine, it's always it's a, this is something that we always emphasize and we love when somebody comes up and says, "Oh yeah, I I, I, I you know I'm an engineer, but at the same time I'm a I'm a painter or something like that." We just discovered that this gentleman actually is a, uh, a singer songwriter. So that's absolutely <laughs> awesome. You know, it's, it's uh, uh, we 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 thought that was very uh, uh, superb. Um, Last but not least, and this is the main reason why we felt that uh, Dr. Tushar should be here, is because he is an authority on giving talks on plant-based medicine. And that's what I w- we want our, our audience to listen to, not just our words, because you know you guys probably are like sick and tired of listening to us. We want some other perspective saying, hopefully similar things, hopefully, maybe if, if, if it's different, you can kind of like, you know, take, take a, a guess at what, you know, what, what might be your right path. So without further ado, I present to you Dr. Tushar Mehta. Dr. Tushar. Hello, everyone. And hello, Jen and Enjoy. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, I did have to listen to uh, some of your previous podcasts as well, and I really enjoyed them. And I'm, I'm very glad that we were on the same wavelength, wavelength and, and philosophy and mindset of trying to be very evidence-based as we um, promote plant-based diet in the healthiest possible way. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So um, so would you like to take on the questions because sure. we have a lot of questions to ask, right? So. Yeah, I'm sure we will be um, asking you to come back and join us because we have so much to talk about. And as our listeners know, we tend to drag on and on. So um, so I guess usually our first question is, um, if you don't mind telling us a little bit about uh, kind of your medical training and your background. I know Joy mentioned your specialties, but I guess how you got to where you are today. Yes, sure. Um, so after undergraduate education, which is what we do in Canada, I'm, I live in Canada and grew up in Canada and trained in Canada, although I'm of Indian origin too. Um, uh, I went to medical school at the University of Toronto. Prior to that, I studied a liberal arts degree. So we studied a combination of arts and sciences in my undergraduate. And I think that influences me in terms of my outlook. Yeah, because in my, arts, in my arts courses, we also studied things like philosophy, international issues, global issues um, wow. uh, as, as part of that. 
And now, and when I, after graduation, I, uh, from medical school, I did a residency in family medicine. I practiced family and addictions medicine and gradually started practicing emergency medicine too. But now I exclusively do emergency medicine. I have an interest in global health uh, that comes even during my uh, undergraduate degree. But uh, uh, for about 10 years, I would spend about a month every year in India working at uh, a camp in the Kutch area, like a medical camp in the Kutch area. Mm. So I've spent a lot of time in India and got to understand um, people in India through my being with my family, through working at the hospital and through having so many now friends in India and traveling around India as well. Um, now I don't work in India currently, but I'm volunteering in Haiti. I took a lot of the lessons I learned and I'm working with a small group in Haiti and, uh, we run two schools there. Um, we're putting somebody through medical school and we have some other projects Like we started a family planning project, which is having trouble because of the situation in Haiti right now, but, uh, we will do that again. And, uh, so that's some of my things. Now, I became very interested in plant-based diet, health, and the environment because, um, you know, I became, uh, I started out as non, not being vegetarian, but I became vegetarian at the age of 16 and then eventually many years later became vegan. And as a part of this, you know, being a doctor, I became very interested in the medical aspect of these things. Being an environmentalist at the same time, I started learning about the environmental aspects. So, um, over the past few years, I've been gathering and collecting all of the research uh, regarding plant-based diet health and environment and cataloging, organizing, reading, understanding, uh, you know, how the research works, what kind of research is there and uh, the different types of studies, et cetera. And earlier on, early on in the pandemic, myself and uh, Nicholas Carter uh, together um, started a database project called Plant based data, where we amalgamated our databases regarding health and environmental issues and the different, mostly peer-reviewed papers that we collected uh, Mm -hmm. and put them together in a website that anybody can access anywhere around the world. So that's called plant-based data. And it's mostly peer-reviewed research. And then some uh, papers that come from large organizations like the United Nations or uh, let's say you know, Greenpeace may put out some paper regarding environment uh, and other, you know, large organizations may put out some institutional research or white papers, et cetera, things like that. And in some cases where we don't have any other information, we may include news articles and things like that, because it's the only source of information on a particular topic. For example, wildlife getting stuck in fishing nets or things like right. that. There, yeah. There are papers about this, but sometimes in terms of uh, contemporary issues, the only thing you find are news articles. And so we will sometimes use those to, um, in certain categories of uh, environmental problems and things like that. Yeah. So that's a summary of the project that we have. And it's, like I said, it's free, it's globally accessible. Um, it's not a fancy website. We use simple tools to make the database, Mm -hmm. but it's, uh, you know, people can download, uh, articles from there and you can actually download the entire database, you know, if you want to. And it's meant, the target audience is meant for people who are just really interested in the data. So people who are like policymakers, educators, healthcare practitioners, doctors, uh, um, sometimes activists, etc., who just want to have a collection of the data. If you 
for example, wanted to get all the data, uh, you know, get all the best papers together regarding, let's say, plant-based diet and diabetes or cardiovascular disease or prostate cancer, you'd go to Google and you'd start searching. It would probably take you many, many days to collect all the best papers together yeah. um, in one spot so they can use that as your source of information. We've done a lot of the work for you. So you go to our database, you go to the health library, you go to the uh, diabetes folder, and you'll find, um, you know, like more than 100 studies probably put together. Um, And then you can browse them and go through them. And we've sort of marked which ones are the best. We've also created a a section of summaries. So the papers that we think are the most important or the best papers in various ways, we'll try to summarize those. We have a summary list for environment, and we have one for the health library too. Um, During the pandemic, uh, I realized how important the problem is Mm -hmm. of how we generate viruses through animal agriculture. And it's Mm -hmm. quite profound. COVID-19 comes to us from a form of animal agriculture. Basically, when we put all these, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of animals together, it becomes like a biogenerator for viruses and viral variants, right? Different um, uh, mutations that occur in the in the viruses and you get different subtypes and claves of these different viruses. And then some of them coming back and spilling over into humans and causing human pandemics, but also those that uh, spread amongst farmed animals and killing off large uh, portions, uh, you know, large populations of farmed animals and also spilling over back into wildlife and then killing off wild birds and, you know, other wildlife. And in this way, having this massive effect of, uh, you know, for humans and animals um, and environment, uh, you know, through this generation of uh, viruses. So we have a very robust database regarding Mm. um, zoonotic disease. Now, if you scroll down on our website, you'll also see some of our talks. Now, we don't do too many talks, and we don't have a lot of like short videos and social media stuff. Um, we have a good Twitter account that you should definitely check out: the Plant-Based Data Twitter and my Twitter and Doctor uh, and sorry, and Nicholas Carter's uh, Twitter. We we basically are very data oriented. We don't go around just pasting like little opinions yeah. and, and and stuff like that. Everything is almost everything is is is. Uh, a paper that we're posting a paper and some important point that comes from that paper. Okay. So it's a very data driven kind of Twitter that we do as well. And uh, I think anything less than that is a lot of times uh, too much opinion oriented or a waste of time, you know? Um, So it's, uh, I think it's high yield Twitter to follow as well. So uh, following up on that, uh, can you tell our audience why somebody should look at your database rather than just going to Google and finding blog articles and, and, you know, things that are written by so-called experts. I mean, why, why, and they're, they're writing it in common man's language, whereas our stuff or shouldn't say our stuff, you know, the peer reviewed stuff is you know, a little bit more scientific. It's harder to read. Why should they go read a little bit more scientific stuff than looking at some, some blog articles or newspaper articles for that matter? And that's a very good question. I think what happens is that when, when we're looking at our sources of information, you know, there's there's actual research, and then there's that translation of research into cons- more easily accessible and consumable ways, right? So, people sometimes write long form articles that uh, 
that talk about topics. But then there's also very, and, and there's podcasts like yours, you know, and then there are also very small social media snippets and things like that, um, that are, that are, you know, video based or Instagram based and all these things. So there's all this spectrum of information delivery, right? But ultimately I encourage people to go closer and closer to the source of information. Yeah. So I'm not saying that our website should be the only source of information that somebody should use. Whatever source that people use, I encourage people to find out what the academic research is that the information derives from. So if you're reading an article, if you're reading, uh, seeing an Instagram post or listening to a podcast, I hope that those sources will always list their references. Mm -hmm. This is very important that the references Mm -hmm. should always be listed. And then people go back and then try to track back to the studies where these ideas and opinions come from, whoever is presenting. And I always tell people, don't believe what I say. Mm -hmm. Check my references. If you listen to my talk, don't just believe me. But I'm providing all the references for the talk that I give. And I want you to go back and look at those references and then see if you agree with them. Now, Mm -hmm. it's not just a question of having references. It's a question of evaluating the quality of those references and how well the studies were done. Uh, the type of study that it is, and uh, seeing if it's interpreted properly, seeing if it's consistent with other research that is done in the area. Because in most cases, um, you will, you know, for important topics, you will find not just one, uh, one study telling you this, but you'll see a body of evidence and you'll see, uh, you know, a consistent trend coming out through that body of evidence. Now, different research may come to slightly different conclusions because they're using different populations, different study groups, and they all have their variations, different methodologies, etc. But you will see uh, a consistency building up. The caveat is that there are also a lot of bad studies, right? And there are particularly the biggest problem that we have right now, one of the biggest problems for health and the environment, you know, as bad as junk food itself or as bad as climate change itself to me, is the problem of misinformation, especially misinformation that comes from industry sources. Mm-hmm. Because industry sources, I mean, we're talking about, you know, multi-billion or half trillion or trillion dollar industries when it comes to the food industry, especially mm-hmm. the meat and dairy industry. That's right. Yeah. And they do, they spend hundreds of millions of dollars on advertising. So if you look at, let's say, McDonald's and all the different restaurants, meat companies and all that, that's all part of one big conglomerate meat industry. And they spend hundreds of millions of dollars worldwide, if not in the billions, uh, on advertising altogether. And they actually fund researchers, fund university programs, and you know, fund um, social media people, fund marketing. They have huge, huge marketing. And this is part of their whole marketing promotion to you know, fund their own researchers, generate their own research, the methodologies of which, when you look at the methodologies, you you find certain common themes in their methodology that repeat themselves. And so it's mm-hmm. almost like you see these studies, you look through the study, you look at the methodology, and you see the fingerprints of like, this looks like an industry-funded study. And then mm-hmm. sure enough, you go down to like the funding source and it will, mm-hmm. will, yeah. it will be funded by the industry. Or in many cases now, they're not directly saying that they're funded by the industry. They're funded by some other organization, which is then funded by industry. So it's kind of a shell game. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, it's very difficult to track the fact that these authors may be even paid by industry. And it 
comes out that somebody else does some investigation and finds that they've been have connections with industry. So it's getting more and more difficult as um, a, a lot of the academics that are funded by industry kind of obscure their funding sources, right? And, and things like that too. So, so not in every case, but in many cases, this is happening too. So we have to look at the methodology very carefully. Just because something is industry funded doesn't mean it's automatically a problem. We as doctors very much know that, hey, if you have a drug trial and the trial is funded by industry, you know, nine times out of 10, it's going to show benefit for their drug. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. But this yeah. also occurs for like the oil industry, the plastics industry, the meat industry, the, you know, chemical industry, like mm-hmm. flame retardant industry. Like, is a, yeah. a friend of mine was studying okay. that. They do research showing that their product is important. And then they mm-hmm. also sit on the policy making boards that tell you that you got to use our products. Right. And they're at all levels because these are these are massive industries that have that power, right? And uh, and those connections as well. So this is very, very much true for the meat industry itself. And we're seeing this more and more. And uh, misinformation in general is in itself a huge problem. And I think that's one of the things that we like to do about plant-based data is in plant-based data is, is take a look at these things, take a look at the methodology quite carefully and try to look at the funding sources as well. Um, and um, we have sections there and in the health library as well as the environment library about, um, you know, that just put together industry research. So you can go there and look at the papers that are generated by industry. And then they tell you that cholesterol is not bad for you or saturated yeah. fat is not bad yeah. for you or, um, uh, if things like that, you know, in an environment, they'll tell you things about regenerative, so-called regenerative grazing um, right. and why cows are good for the environment. Uh, and they're so sophisticated and, and very powerful and well-funded in doing these kind of things. Mm-hmm. They'll create research, then make movies about it. Then they will yeah. get in and out to the media. And then they will, <clears throat> the next thing you know, McDonald's is advertising, you know, mm-hmm. uh, grass-fed beef in their burgers or something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. you'll have you'll have those things coming right you know, uh, f- right from beginning to end. And, um, and, and, and it's quite incredible how, uh, how good they are at it. You know, these are smart people. Mm-hmm. I commend them on that, but yeah. at the same time, it's ruining people, the planet and it's ruining people's health and it's causing a great deal of misperception. And, uh, you know, the industry is right there. Like when you look at, uh, you know, the COP 15 or the, uh, um, you know, biodiversity or, you know, the, the climate, uh, COP27, the climate thing, you know, these guys are there in, mm-hmm. you know, amongst the politicians, um, highly influencing the decisions that are made, right? These are very large industry and they present themselves in many cases as like, oh, we're representing these small farmers and stuff like that. But meanwhile, there are these massive multi-billion dollar industries that are actually not good for their farmers at all. Their, their farmers are the, the, the people who are, mm-hmm. um, uh, the frontline workers in the animal agriculture industry are actually in most, in many cases suffering, yeah, um, yeah. you know, so, so it's, it's, it's quite incredible how they do what they do <laughs> yeah, yeah. and we should I be agree. aware of it. <laughs> so I just want to bring something to uh, the audience's uh, attention. I have actually personally looked at Dr. Mehta's database and I'm absolutely impressed. It's one of the most comprehensive data sets that you can go to and look at. And, you know, you don't have to dig in the actual data data. You can look at some of the summaries that they've written. And they're fairly easy for a common person to understand. So like Dr. Mehta said, you know, there are no vested interests here. They're just presenting the data as it is. So um, just and to we'll follow, link it, right? We'll make yeah, sure I will, link obviously it. I will link it, but I'd like for Dr. Mehta to, you know, either provide a link or, or, or tell us what the link is or, or kind of like say, how do, we, how do we get to that data set, Dr. Mehta? Well, all you do is you just 
Google Plant Based Data. There you go. And the website okay. is called plantbaseddata.org. Okay. 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 Easy. And we don't have any funding from any industry or anything like that. We're not funded by some vegan company or something like this, right? <laughs> um, we don't. We're we're doing this as volunteers, and Nicholas Carter has a little bit of funding now, um, but it's not from industry. It's just from uh, an NGO that doesn't have any food industry links. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and we're trying to you know, trying as best as we can to um, uh, to uh, continue expanding the database, and then hopefully over time creating some more digestible forms of uh, our our information. So you know, mm-hmm. trying to maybe make some more videos, podcasts, um, uh, and uh, and different uh, long form articles that people can refer to as well. You know, it's make some of our own articles as well. Yeah. So it's a lot of work and we're very busy. I have a small baby and uh, yeah. working full time. And then I do this work in Haiti and things like that. So it's, 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 it's a lot of sort of late nights and everything like that. But we're trying our best to always uh, keep up and hopefully bit by bit also expand our team. Good. Thank you for, yeah, from, I mean, everyone should thank you for doing this just out of the goodness of your heart and for the, for the general knowledge, especially you're right, especially in the time of COVID. It's important that people understand this, that everyone understands uh, these facts. So, so thank you for putting all your extra time, which oh, I know doing, is not much. <laughs> thank you for doing what you're doing. You know, it's all a question of teamwork. You know, we all yeah. are a global team, you know, and so we may be doing more database and then you're doing more knowledge translation and putting it in the form of con- uh, podcast and hopefully getting people around the world and especially people in India, you know, so that's, uh, that's really important that we all work together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Along those lines, actually my question for you, just as like in your practice, I'm just thinking about from uh, when we lived in the U S I did primary care, which uh, as you probably know, I think it's better in Canada, but in the U S we have very little time to spend with our patients in primary care. And you as an ER physician have even less time to spend with your patients. How, First of all, I I guess I should say, are you able to um, give them any of your plant-based medicine knowledge? And if you do, how do you manage to do that in the emergency room setting? Because I would like to take some knowledge from you because that's incredible if you can do that and how. Well, I would say that in my, like in my normal medical like work, I, I, unfortunately, I, I don't do a lot of promotion or education around plant-based diets. I can it is imagine, because yeah. I, you know, you're. I'm focused on just emergency medicine. When I'm there, right. I'm focused you're on emergency medicine. The patient. Yeah. Now there are there are so many patients that we see in primary care in all of our different specialties in the emergency department who are suffering from really bad diseases that are very much influenced by diet, right? very much influenced by diet. We see, we see in the mm-hmm. emergency department and, and everywhere, we see, we see bad cardiovascular disease. What is cardiovascular disease? They are diseases that affect your heart and blood vessels. For the purposes of this podcast, we are most concerned about atherosclerosis-related cardiovascular disease. Atherosclerosis is plaque or fatty deposits that build up in your heart, brain, aorta, which is the biggest artery in your body, and or other peripheral arteries in your arms and legs. Let's keep listening. Peripheral vascular disease. We see dementia. What is dementia? Dementia is a term used to describe a group of symptoms affecting memory, thinking, and social abilities, severely enough to interfere with your daily life. It isn't a specific disease, but several diseases can cause dementia. 
Alzheimer's is the most common and probably the one that you've heard of. But there is actually a type called vascular dementia, which is due to multiple small strokes over time. Let's keep listening. And dementia has a very large vascular component. Every time I, I, I do CT heads, like, you know, almost every shift, people are getting a CT head, especially elderly people who bump their head or some people have headaches. Yeah. And you see, it says, you know, microvascular changes. What are microvascular changes? Actually, microvascular ischemic disease is the proper term for this. And it's, um, it's an umbrella term that refers to a variety of changes in the small blood vessels of your brain. Depending on the severity of these changes, they can cause a range of complications, from something as simple as difficulty focusing to a, to a significant stroke. Actually, narrowing of small blood vessels from wall thickening and plaque buildup is the cause of these microvascular changes. All right, back to our regularly scheduled program. Right? The CT report comes out as microvascular yeah. changes, microinfarcts. Micro what are microinfarcts? They're quite similar to the microvascular changes that we spoke about earlier. Tiny areas of brain cell death due to blockages in blood vessels. They're micro, so they're small and not enough to cause severe symptoms in themselves. But accumulation of microinfarcts over time actually does become a problem. It can lead to dementia, as we mentioned earlier psychiatric issues, concentration issues, and others. Also, it's important to know that microinfarcts can be caused by high blood pressure affecting the brain over time. All right, back to the show. So there's not a, a lot of data about um, plant-based diet preventing uh, ischemic strokes. What are ischemic strokes? Stroke, in general, refers to death of brain tissue or brain cells, also known as a brain attack as opposed to a heart attack. Strokes can be either hemorrhagic, from a bleeding blood vessel in the brain, or ischemic, from a blockage in one of the blood vessels in the brain. Let's get back to the podcast. Right. And that, I use all, that used to always mystify me. I'm like, why is there such a cardiovascular benefit, but right. not so much of a stroke benefit, which is also mm. a vascular disease? Yeah. What I've now realized is that the benefit um, to the brain in terms of vascular disease it's not the prevention of acute strokes so much. There's a tiny bit of data on that. But um, it's the prevention of dementia, which is very largely a vascular disease, mm. right? There's a large proportion of dementia as a vascular disease. And we see these aging brains and the microinfarcts and the dementia that correlates and the decrease in brain volume. And decrease in brain volume? It sounds terrifying, but actually as a human ages, his or her brain volume naturally decreases in size. It's also known as cerebral atrophy or brain shrinkage, and as I mentioned, is natural in all humans. But cell loss can actually be accelerated by a variety of causes, including injury, infection, and medical, sorry, medical conditions such as dementia, stroke, and high blood pressure, which is why this is mentioned in our podcast today. Back to the show we go. That, that correlates with microinfarcts and losing some you know, brain tissue in, in, in tiny, tiny, tiny bits of brain tissue over time, the shrinkage of the brain and, and things like that. And then dementia as part of that. So vascular disease is a very powerful um, uh, cause uh, of, of dementia. And it may not be the only cause, but it's a major, major cause, right? So 
Um, we see this in the emergency department too. Uh, we see bad diabetes. We see complications of diabetes. People right. that have re- renal disease, uh, renal failure, dialysis due to their diet, type mm. 2 diabetes. We uh, bad peripheral vascular disease, amputations, non-healing wounds. We see, um, uh, you know, and, uh, different cancers, you know, prostate cancers, and breast cancers, also influenced by diet, colon cancers, things right. like that. We get with these patients, right? So in in some cases. What I'll do is that if somebody has some bad diabetes or fatty liver disease. What is fatty liver disease? Fatty liver is also known as hepatic steatosis in medical terms. It basically happens when too much fat builds up in the liver cells. A small amount of fat is actually normal in your liver. But due to either too much alcohol or to non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is usually caused by obesity metabolic syndrome, or sometimes can be genetic. Too much fat in your liver causes liver inflammation, which can eventually lead to fibrosis and cirrhosis, which is unfortunately a fatal condition unless caught early. All right, here we go back again. You know, cardiovascular disease. I I ask people at the end of my visit when I've done everything, I say, hey, are you interested in like some dietary measures Mm. that can help you in addition to the medications and all the treatments you're doing, in addition to that, are you interested in some dietary things that can help you with, with these, um, these chronic diseases that you're facing? And if the person says yes, and I say, great, you know, let me give you a couple of resources. And I might just give them great. a couple of free resources like, hey, check out the Forks Over Knives website, yeah. which has free recipes that right. people can mm-hmm. yeah, that's a great look into, website. right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and on the website itself. And then there's uh, also there's PCRM Healthy yeah. India, PCRM. which yeah. I wish they called it PCRM Healthy South Asia. Because it's not just for Indians, it's for all South Asians, including all of our, you know, brothers, sisters and friends and family from Pakistan, right? They should call it PCRM Healthy South Asia. And then they have resources there um, that are recipes accessible to people eating South Mm -hmm. Asian food, right? And... um, And, and so I might give them a couple of simple resources and then I don't know what they do with it. I hope that people go back and use it and then maybe influence their diet a little bit. My main thing is that I, outside of my work, my conventional work, uh, is doing work with plant-based data and then working with other people, uh, in, sometimes in India, in Mexico, I have a lot of friends that I've given talks and, and things like that too. And, uh, being part of some of the plant-based or vegan movements mm. there. So you said something about uh, diet and, you know, people from South South Asia and so on. What has been your uh, observation or, or uh, you know, experience in um, talking to Indians that are, you know, entrenched in the, 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 the typical diet, if you will, whether it's, well, you know, typical vegetarian diet, let's say, um, and they are always surprised that they are having all these uh, you know, chronic disease conditions and, um, mm-hmm. but I'm vegetarian, mm-hmm. uh, but they say, I'm vegetarian, you know, wh- wh- why is it? So what's your, yeah. what's your experience been in that? Yes. I, th- I think, so my, my family in India, they're all vegetarian, right? I started out as being non-vegetarian, then I became vegetarian and now I'm a vegan. So now when I go there, I'm still, you know, a little bit different than my family and my family, yeah. Yeah. you yeah. know, yeah. It, it takes them a while to get used to the, the fact that I'm vegan, but I think people now really like, uh, are supportive. My family is mm-hmm. like, so supportive and so cool with it and, 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 um, and trying some things themselves. But when I'm looking at people's Indian diets and I think I'm most, you know, uh, I love South Indian food. I love Gujarati food. I'm from Gujarat as well. And, 
And I have a lot of Punjabi friends over here and eat a lot of Punjabi food too. The quality of the diet in India, the Indian vegetarian diets, has some great things. There are some yeah. great things that people know how to eat mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in yeah. India, right? That are, that are indigenous Indian foods that are so good. Yeah. But we also ruin it with a lot yeah. of bad foods yes. mixed into that whole thing. Uh-huh. And so yeah. there's a lot of really, really bad dietary habits that have ingrained themselves in Indian vegetarian food. And if we can just take the best parts of Indian food and realize the, the parts that are hurting us, yeah. then we have a, you know, you know, then we have a great potential to make a very healthy plant-based Indian diet. And then of mm-hmm. course we can enhance that. We can add some things that are international foods. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think that, that, and that's true for everywhere. You know, if you look at, um, my wife is actually from China. And if you look at Chinese food, there's some really, really good plant-based foods there. But then there's oh, other stuff yeah. that may be plant-based or not plant-based that, that, that cause harm. And same in Mexico and same other places. Mm-hmm. You know, most, most, many parts of the world are very plant-based just to begin with. Um, so if you use that, if you use the best parts of that as our basis and improve upon the unhealthy aspects, there's so much potential for incredible plant-based foods internationally you know from mm-hmm. international cuisine you know mm-hmm. and uh and um but starting from india we definitely have a, a lot of very bad habits in our indian food yeah. there's a lot of refined carbohydrates that goes into making our indian breads right and white rice there's a very good study that recently came out showing that the, the health differences between white rice and brown rice um whole grain brown rice the differences are profound, the long-term health differences. White rice should be considered, uh, it's, it's a refined food. It's almost like eating kind of sugar with a little bit of protein in it and things like that too. Um, we eat a lot of oil in Indian food, a lot of mm-hmm. oil. Yeah. And especially a lot of oil that comes from animal fat, a mm-hmm. lot of ghee and butter and those things. But even right. the plant-based oils, people use such large amounts. And I'm very astonished when I look at how much oil that is used by my family. And they think it's normal. They think yes. that they're not using yes, a lot of oil. They think it's yeah. normal, right? Yeah. Gujarati people, at least in my family, they don't have a concept of how much protein they're eating. Mm-hmm. There is a dogma amongst a lot of vegan and plant-based folks that, hey, if you eat enough calories, you will get enough protein. Now, that may be true 75% of the time, but it's not true 100% of the time. So we have to, when we're looking at plant-based diets, we don't want to oversimplify something Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it goes wrong. So if that applies, like, let's say, you know, 60, 70, 75% of the time, what about those other, you know, 25, 30% when yeah. it doesn't, when it's not applying? And I see that with my family. They eat very low protein diets mm-hmm. because they make dal. It's mostly water and they right. don't eat a lot of, yeah. they don't eat like, like Punjabi food. When you eat chickpeas, you eat like a big plate, a lot of right. yeah. chole or yeah. rajma, yeah. or the dal is very thick. Gujarati, mm-hmm. it's mostly water and you're eating right. very small yeah. amounts of this stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So people need to switch to whole grains, switch to brown rice and increase their proportion of beans and lentils, a large yeah. amount. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they can add some other protein sources too, because in the modern world, you know, we're trying to like super enhance our diets. So, for example, one of the 
most amazing foods is um, edamame, like, uh, you know, whole soybeans, Mm -hmm. which could integrate so beautifully into Indian food, actually. And it's such a superfood. It's such Mm -hmm. a great food. You know, it's a green form of soybeans. It's Mm -hmm. going to be high in iron, super high in protein. Mm -hmm. And all the research that we know about soy that shows that you have less prostate cancer, less breast cancer, less osteoporotic fractures with long-term use and lower cholesterol. No other plant-based protein has as much research done on it as soy. Yeah. And it's very cheap to make it organic. When people are afraid of non of GMO yeah. soy, well, everything else is GMO too. And GMO right, soy is exactly. not any worse than any other GMO thing. Exactly. Okay? Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid of regular soy. But the yeah. good news is that it's also one of the cheapest things to have organic. Yeah. And because organic food is so expensive, this particular organic food is really accessible for people. So at this point, we should end this uh, this part and we'll continue on in the next part. But in the meanwhile, our listeners can uh, go to our website. In case you are just so excited for the next one that you can barely contain yourselves and you miss the sound of our voices, <laughs> they'll always be there for you on com slash podcast. Do we mention that? <laughs>